Caramel Rock, developing the next generation of designers and creatives. Joining us for the second edition of Caramel Rock and the Commonwealth Fashion Council Education Initiative. For those who are joining us on social media, hello. And for those who are joining us on Zoom, hello to you. This is going to be a very exciting event. We've got many people lined up today. And I'm just going to do a quick welcome and introduction of the founder of Caramel Rock and also the Commonwealth Fashion Council. Before I introduce the two individuals, I'm just going to quickly run through what both organisations do. So the Commonwealth Fashion Council is a council of fashion industries and related stakeholders. It has created a unique platform to collectively resolve problems, adapt to sudden change, and to harness opportunities for collection growth. The CFC works with Commonwealth governments and government agencies to deliver programs with a focus on their values and pulling together businesses and members from across the Commonwealth fashion landscape. Caravan Rock is an educational fashion charity. It's based in London and they work with young people and adults as well as vulnerable people to help them get back into fashion employment and training by equipping them with the skills, training and opportunities that they need to thrive. So without further ado, let's welcome Faith and Daniel. Range 
Matter. We have a specific segment around uh, Black Lives Matter and the role that the um, this part of the industry plays within specifically Britain. Um, we also will be interviewing the tutor that led the initiative over the summer um, and some of the people that participated. We'll also be viewing some of their work that they've actually produced over the programme. So we have lots in store um, for everybody to see. Um, so thank you all very much and uh, have a lovely uh, show. Worked with a multitude of internationally renowned brands. Recognizing the gap between corporate wellbeing support services and positive organizational culture, Chapter was created to integrate positive mental wealth within businesses to help them thrive. Round of applause for the We also have Simon Robert Shaw from UEL. Simon Robert Shaw is the Dean of the School of Arts and Creative Industries. Having trained in fine art, he moved from Liverpool to London to embark on a master's at the Royal College of Art. His passion for video and mixed media art forms led to a number of exhibitions and works that address social and community-based issues. Round of applause for Simon Robertson. We next have Claire Payne. Claire Payne is the creative director of the Claire Payne brand, a conceptual luxury brand creating unisex leather products, fusing explorative narratives with balanced and sustainable initiatives through concise messages, collaborative projects and consultation. Round of applause for Claire Payne. Next we have Emma Freeman. She is a freelance designer and, is, and after deciding to embark on an exciting journey to carry out a master's degree at the Royal College of Art in Global Innovation Design. Previously, she was, the head, she was head of design at LVMH, a French multinational corporation and conglomerate specialising in luxury goods. At her time at LVMH, she managed the design team and processes during the relaunch of Thomas Pink. Round of applause. And lastly, joining us online, we have Claudia Lebar, who's a founder of Blitz Africa. Claudia Liva is a Ghanaian publisher, founder of Blitz Africa magazine and numerous Blitz Africa brand extensions. She is also the UNFPA Goodwill Ambassador and fashion, Ghanaian, fashion, Ghanaian Tourism Ambassador for Fashion Development. So she's joining us online, so final round of applause for her. So I'm really, really excited to be hosting this panel. We have a range of questions. Um, if you feel like the question, um, is for you or directed towards you, feel free to answer. Um, so we'll start off with Claire. How did you enter into your current industry? Sure, so um, I graduated, I graduated in 2012. Um, so I've been in the industry between 8 and 10 years in total. Um, I went through various kind of luxury high end uh, studios and finally embarked on a freelance career about a year, a year and a half ago um, and decided to move away from um, a, a very fast paced attitude towards fashion collections. Um, so now launching my brand, it's in its infancy. Uh, we offer a bespoke um, service, a hand made order. Uh, we 
arrangement of balance, the whole sustainable mind uh, um, I relate it back to you know, industry experience and taking all of those experiences on board and nurturing um, kind of a new way of, kind of looking at things, I guess. Yeah, I think it's great if everyone sort of answers that question because it will give everyone sort of an idea of how they got into their industry and what inspired them. Yes. Okay, well, I, I entered the fashion industry um, through a degree, so through education, I did a BA at the College of Fashion, and um, part of that BA was um, a work placement year. So through work placements, I made contacts, which then got me employment when I graduated, and I've been working for about 16 years um, as a menswear designer um, for various luxury and premium brands. So mainly it was through connections made during my study. So I'm Beatrice Newman, I'm the head of the department for fashion at UVL. I entered into the fashion industry by doing a degree um, and then um, by doing various internships and freelance work. Um, so apart from being in education, I've also been able to set up my own brand which I'm working on currently today. So that's how I got into the industry. So I'm obviously not in fashion. Um, so I started Shams through my experience in mental health. I've had a long career in the corporate world and I've worked in various different sectors. Um, so that was how Shams came to be. And a couple of years ago, I started my MSc in applied positive psychology at UEL, where I graduated at the end of last year. And um, I started Shams for Change, um, which is my social enterprise company, a year ago, because for me, there was always something about giving back. So Shams works a lot with organisations in different industries, different sectors, supporting uh, mental health, uh, well-being of employees. But Shams for Change was my real baby that I've been passionate about wanting to start. And through coaching programmes for groups of individuals who might be disadvantaged or might not have the opportunity to access coaching, so we've got two projects at the moment. One, um, we've just finished working with a domestic abuse charity and supporting women in thriving and post-traumatic uh, uh, post growth, working through that, which has been really successful. And then I'm off to Samos to work in a refugee camp and do research at the end of next week, for three weeks. So it's really about empowering individuals through coaching. Brilliant. So um, I, I don't have a business in fashion, but uh, I guess we educate people in fashion at UVL. Um, but in terms of my profile, I guess, I was always an artist, I was a maker, I was passionate about making things. Uh, I didn't actually go into higher education until my mid-30s because I was prolific in making artwork and I was very keen on doing that. And then slowly got sucked into the management of higher education for that. But I guess what's important for me in Beatrice is keeping ahead of the game, which might be, we might want to talk about in terms of what's going on in the fashion sector worldwide. Um, so we can talk a bit about that as well. Really, I think I look better sitting down now. I also don't have to stand up. <laughs> okay, brilliant. So um, I'll be interested to find out what sort of barriers you face in the industry. Maybe that might be applicable to possibly Claire and Emma, but if anyone else wants to answer, that would be great. I found it, I was a concept learning and quite a conceptual designer. 
Um, to start, we can kind of rebel against industry product, like projects. Um, and then, obviously, now with data experience, I can totally appreciate those. But in the beginning, I found it difficult. Um, anyway, my biggest barrier was not understanding why councils getting turned down in different positions. And it wasn't because of my experience, it was because my aesthetic wasn't right. So I could, you know, a, a brand is never going to relate to constantly, or um, you're never going to tick boxes for a, a, a brand, neither of them benefit from. Um, so I think that's one barrier. I also think um, I found it difficult settling into certain um, studios when I first started. I think I was quite vulnerable and naive. Well, I'd had no, you know, my first experience in fashion was going to you know, fashion. Um, so, my, my background, I think sometimes I kind of faced a little bit of a, a, a class system thing. I worked very well in class and in fashion experience before, wasn't exposed to that world and so on. But all I could do was immerse myself in it and, and make sure that you know, I. I, I received no prejudice, but in my own sense, you know, I had to kind of work and make sure that I was comfortable in that environment. I would say my barriers would be like every student, would be the financial barrier with the initial So having to find a trade studies and work placements, I graduated in 2004. Um, work placements were unpaid at that time, so that was always a challenge, because you have to do. And then even going into mentor, I mean, female initially I've come up against some barriers. I've been asked later maybe interviews before, uh, how female to find mentor, but they can be a course, which is very active. So um, I think it's improved though. In the last five years, it's dramatically improved in all the places, and less judgmental. And Peter, have you seen any sort of students come up against any barriers that you'd like to highlight? Yes. Um, and I have 
two questions I want to ask you. The first one is, um, what is the one unique thing about your business or brand? As a brand, it's probably that we are we're quite spiritual in that sense of, of uh, we don't class ourselves as a training consultancy or a training provider or very holistic in our approach and also as a what's classed as kind of mental health workshops or training actually we come with a real positive psychology lens so it's more about it doesn't matter where you are with your own mental health if the fact is that organisations should be enabling everybody to flourish and that's more about creating an inclusive culture and it's more about enabling uh, people to come to work to be their authentic self. So that is really the heart of, of what we do. Yeah. How has your business adapted to the COVID-19 situation? Well we were already delivering some workshops online because many of our clients um, in Shams are global so we were running lots of sort of webinars or Zoom workshops online, but actually we had to bring obviously everything online um, from mental health first aid training to our own bespoke workshops. And that's been a challenge um, and adapting, you know, enabling our clients to adapt that and also to make it interesting. So if you're listening to a, a, a whole day of training or half day of training, it's a long time to be sat in front of the camera. Uh, for, for employees as well. So, so yes, we've adapted it that way, but actually Chance for Change has really kicked off this year and I don't think that would have happened without you know, being able to think about putting everything online uh, because we've reached UK-wide and overseas. So it has been, in some cases, that's really helped um, the reach of a, a very brand new business. So I think it's just about looking for the opportunity and but not just translating it. You can't do what you were doing before and replicate it. You have to evolve it and think very differently about how you're getting your message out there, how people are interacting with your brand, um, and how they are learning as well. So learning experience is different. Brilliant. Just very quickly, for those who are joining us on Zoom, please feel free to use the Zoom chat box to ask any questions. And if you have a specific question for anyone on the panel, please feel free to use their name so that we know it's directed towards them. Thank you very much, Lou. So on to Simon. Um, what would be a practical piece of advice you have for anyone who wants to enter into the fashion industry? <laughs> <laughs> We've got about three hours. Um, I think, uh, just for notes actually, I, um, there's a really good report out at the moment by uh, Business for Fashion from McKinsey. Written really good reports on the future of fashion is worth looking up. It's quite 120 page documents. Um, and I think some of the highlights in that, in the business of fashion, I think the students need to have much more awareness of the business globally. And that, that report highlights Southeast Asia and Indonesia in terms of its development of the platforms. They're actually supporting SMEs to sell their products. Um, and I was looking at, I'm, I'm sure many of people online are in some of the peer-reviews uh, Alibaba and AliExpress, uh, but actually can't get onto AliExpress in France, from France or Germany, uh, or from China. Um, so some of the platforms are restrictive. So to answer your question, I think students need a much more thorough understanding of the global market of fashion. Um, and what they're entering into isn't just about making. We all like to make, and when I meet my students, they're all passionate about making things. 
but actually it's no good making things if you don't understand the market that it's going into. So I think students get a, a broader range of awareness, but also um, something that the report does highlight is the issue of diversity in the industry as well. And uh, in that report it highlights 50% of all fashion industry workers believe the industry is not diverse enough. Um, so I think UEL in terms of its demographic and probably Caramel World actually need to do more about getting students from, from those backgrounds into the sector and get over some of the barriers that we're talking about. So um, I think global markets would be my one thing to take away. Very interesting. Thank you very much, Simon. So Beatrice, um, can you just let us know how you feel the fashion industry has changed in the past five years, if it's changed? And uh, what you predict will happen in the next maybe five to ten years? That's a really good question. <laughs> Sustainability, um, as you say, as regular. <laughs> 
stands, it should just be standard throughout the industry, it shouldn't be a trend that we've been discussing. Brilliant. Um, just a very final question to Ruth. Um, it's got to do with mental health. Not too sure if you're concerned so much about mental health in the fashion industry, but you know, any sort of industry. Um, the fashion industry can be very fast-paced, um, heavily watched and high pressure. So in your experience, um, how would you give advice to individuals who are in high-pressured, high-paced uh, industries and um, in terms of their mental health and well-being and some strategies they can use to help them cope with that? That sounds like a, a full day workshop right there. Um, so, you know, or I think with what's happened this year with the global pandemic, all the, you know, and a lot of industries are fast paced and constantly innovating. I think Beatrice made that point, you know, everyone's looking for different ways to innovate no matter what sector to keep their clients and to evolve. Um, so, there's a couple of things. I think um, one is, as yourself, as an individual, it's about I'm going to use that cliche hashtag, but self-care and knowing, and I'm not talking about bubble baths and face masks, I'm talking about, um, you know, downtime for you, I'm talking about um, unplugging from technology, especially where we're at at the moment, um, finding the things you're passionate about, um, talking about using your support networks, because I think when you're in a very fast-paced industry, and especially when you feel very isolated at the moment, so working from home or studying from home, is making sure you use those support networks um, and you've got those people around you. I think just at the moment as well, taking each day as it comes. Um, you know, there's times over the last six months where I've taken it day by day or hour by hour, not let alone you know coming for a whole week because I think you can get so overwhelmed with all of the uh, pressure that you have around you. And I think in terms of where you're at, I think obviously there's probably a lot of uh, students listening, people are starting out in their careers and thinking about that. I think what Beatrice said about what's next is so important and that kind of planning as well. I mean, in some cases you can't over plan mode, but I think it's really important to still keep those goals and to think about your meaning and purpose and what, you know, where you're going with your life. I still think, I think more than ever those things are really important at the moment. So, whatever your passions are, if it's creative, it's designing, if it's wanting to set up your own brand, set up your own business, have those have those dreams and make them, you know, go for them. Because I think if one thing this year has, has taught me is that those things are really important as well to keep to keep having those those moments. So Brilliant, excellent. Thank you very much for joining this panel. Um, we're going to actually have um, a mini break now and then we're going to move into showcasing some of the students' work. So again, for those who have questions, please feel free to write them and we'll answer them at some point during the day. But without further ado, thank you so much to all of you for joining and answering those questions.
So in 2016, I went back to Lagos and I noticed that everybody there was just like wearing natives. Like they just wear caftans to a club, to work, just for casual chilling. So I just I thought to myself, why don't people in London wear that? Like why is there that stigma that if I wear a caftan in London, what would I want? Um, and that sort of inspired me to kind of make it and you know, try, try to bring it into more of a modern fashion. So, um, what does fashion mean to you? Uh, fashion means the confidence and silence, so that's the slogan of my brain. And I just feel like it represents you. Once you walk into a room, people should be able to feel your aura. People should be able to feel that you have that fashion sense and style, just dress well. Excellent. And so, um, what is the one unique thing about your business or your brand? Uh, so, I feel like one unique thing about my brand is that um, we create caftans that are into modern wear, so not something that your grandfather or your uncle will wear. I can guarantee you that you could go to a party or an award show and you'll be the only person wearing a bespoke piece um, and it's made of care, with love. Um, I design the pieces myself, so I know for a fact you're not going to go in and feel like, oh, he's got my shirt on, this is definitely a unique piece. Just lastly, how has your business been, been impacted by COVID-19 and how have you adapted your services to the pandemic? Sure, so that's a very good question. Um, so in this COVID-19, obviously, previously, um, I went the traditional method of you know, actually measuring people, having an office space where people are coming for appointments. Um, I've always had this fear of going online and sort of, um, you know, doing the sizing and everything. Uh, but this it's kind of been a blessing of disguise because um, there's been a lot of focus on Black Lives Matter, a lot of focus on Black fashion brands, and it's allowed me to actually build a website and go online and uh, create uh, new trends and new connections. Uh, one of my connections just came on about uh, six weeks ago, uh, which is on the website now, and it allowed me to sort of you know, adapt to trends. And it's kind of made my life easier as well because I've been able to reach out to people globally on a worldwide scale and uh, from a measurement perspective it's not even been that hard so like I said it's been a blessing in disguise and I'll just keep bringing up connections. And you mentioned your website, how do people find you on social media and how do they also find out about more about your designs? Sure, so Instagram is Arenti, so that's E-R-E-N-T-I. Our website is www.arenti.co.uk. Um, Twitter is Arenti Designs. And um, yeah, literally just search us up. Um, I'm pretty sure you know you have a mutual friend that has worn an Arenti piece or knows about Arenti. Excellent. And just lastly, what are your future plans for Arenti? Uh, just to take over the management on the African scale um, and become uh, the dominant figure in African weddings and uh, globally, like just you know be one of the top in the industry. You know, try to be, if not above Gucci or on that level in terms of our African branding. Wow, you have some amazing aspirations. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Jess, for joining the panel. Um, just to go over again, how did you start up your organisation, Pop Up Africa? So, um, Pop Up Africa started in 2013. And it was basically out of a desire to see a bit more representation on the wider market. Um, growing up in Essex, I was one of the only few black students in my class. 
Um, so I didn't really see much of myself around or available in the shops. Um, and then when I went to university, I had the opportunity to connect with more people like myself, um, people that had grown up here, or people that had grown up back in Nigeria or Ghana, um, Sierra Leone, that uh, had like this dual culture kind of thing going on. So um, yeah, it was basically birthed out that I wanted to see a bit more of us in the wine market. Excellent. So just talk us through more about what you do in your organisation, what the functionalities are, the services are that you provide. So we basically organise Africa-inspired events, pop-up events across uh, the UK, across iconic spaces within the UK. So we use the South Bank Centre, um, we use Spitalfields Market, which is really one of the biggest markets in London. Um, and we take out the spaces and create um, an Africa-inspired marketplace. So people selling a range of different kinds of products, so uh, fashion labels, uh, accessories, food, uh, food is a popular area, um, literature from across Africa, by writers from across Africa, and alongside that we have entertainment, so people can meet the authors, uh, we have dancers, so basically a platform to showcase the talent from diaspora and Africa itself. So what is one unique thing about your business slash your brand? I think one of the unique things about us is that we connect young Africans here with Africans back home. It's kind of a place where, so beyond the events, we also do um, projects where we've taken young people from the UK um, over to places like Ghana um, to connect with creatives back home and see what they're doing there and an opportunity for them to take their craft from here, there and vice versa and learn skills from Africa and bring it back over here. So I think that's one of the important Excellent. And how has your business been impacted by COVID-19 and what have you done to adapt to the pandemic? Um, COVID-19 has been quite bad. <laughs> Obviously being an events-based business and everyone being on lockdown, meaning no one can go to events, it kind of defeats the whole point of having events. So I've not been able to have my flagship event at Africa Institute Films this year. Um, not physically, but you know, you know how we do, we have to become creative, we need to pivot and see what we can do, so I made it virtual. Um, and it kind of has opened my eyes to doing more virtual events and the power of um, the internet. Yeah. Wow, that is absolutely amazing. Um, how do people find you? What are you? Where do people find you on social media? Okay, so on Instagram, we're at Pop Up Africa. Um, on Facebook, we're Pop Up no, Team Pop Up Africa. And on um, Twitter, we're Pop Up underscore Africa. Excellent, thank you. Black and red, so I've gone with a military cloth by Ainsworth, and uh, it's a genuine uh, cloth they use for military officers' uniforms. Uh, for example, if you see the Chelsea pensioners, they wear black uniforms, you know, they're 80, 90 years old. It's incredibly heavy, but these uniforms literally last a lifetime. And in keeping with my suburb background, um, I've done a traditional full canvas construction. You can see here. So inside, you see the full uh, floating canvas lining. There's no fusing, no glue on the inside. Everything is handwork. And in the chest, we have uh, three-layer canvas. So we have chest belt, linen, and 
um, body canvas and chest canvas, and that's all stitched together by hand. So that gives it shape and longevity. And I've gone with a uh, bunny lining on the back to keep it slightly lighter. It is actually a uh, reused piece of old lining, and it has stains in for a bit. <laughs> and uh, yeah, basically everything inside, uh, excluding the fabric, is uh, is basically recycled. These uh, these red leather trim in patent leather. That was from a production that my tailor had. He had some scraps. Very difficult to cut out on my on my head. And I've gone for a uh, sort of continental Spanish theme on the pockets. Very difficult to pattern cut and make actually. Very challenging. And these are genuine horn buttons. Uh, sustainable, I add actually. Um, what it is, the horns actually fall off the animal naturally. So people think, oh, it must be uh, cool, but actually they are genuinely sustainable. So yeah, it's a military inspired garment, but I've gone with the red trim to make it really pop, you know, sort of fashion. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's a beautiful garment. You know, it's, um, it's all in the details, they say. All in the details. So what was the inspiration for creating this piece? Um, I'd say it's, uh, probably the main inspiration was um, probably, uh, you know, going forward, somewhere needs to sort of liven itself a little bit. So, you know, it's always known for its very formal sort of clothing. And yet, you know, what it needs is young designers, um, you know, creating more interesting pieces. Um, for example, um, Andrew Graham, um, we said, well, does some, uh, does some really, really interesting pieces, but obviously, you know, the cost is you know, astronomical thousands. Um, so it would be nice if, uh, you know, a designer could bring in sort of, you know, really interesting pieces at, you know, sort of affordable pricing. Um, I mean, this did take 40 hours, but um, if, if I had a bit of practice, I'd probably bring it down to about 20 and then retail it at about sort of three to four hundred pounds, I think, for retail. Whereas um, on the sale world, this would probably be about fifteen hundred pounds. So how have you incorporated the presence of the Commonwealth Fashion Council into your work? Well, in terms of the sustainability, you know, these garments, you know, they're, they're designed to last a lifetime. I mean, the craft involved, you know, with all the hand sewing and everything else, you know, it, it is time consuming, but when you, when you consider how long it lasts, you know, it's, it's all several pieces, you know, they're great investments. So if you get 50 years out of it, it might cost you a thousand pounds, but it doesn't actually cost you that much in the long run. And by, by designing it in such a way, you know, sort of very classic, um, you know, sort of neutral colour, then, you know, it, it can be used, you know, uh, you know, season after season, you know, and, you know, all these details, for example, where you can take them off, change them, the pockets, for example, um, all these things, all these little details, you know, are, you know, make, make the garment timeless and yet sort of sustainable. Excellent. So what is fashion to you? Fashion to me is, um, it's, for me, it's the craft, really. Um, craft and design should be viable going forward. When there's no craft and there's just design, that's when you get unsustainable fashion and you have a throwaway culture. When you make something for you know, five, 10 pounds and you retail it at 50, um, 
know, that's only going to last you one season, but you spend a little bit more money on something that's well-made, hand-tailored. And that's what people, are, I think, are starting to appreciate nowadays. You know, um, you, know you, look at, you look at logs and things, you, know, you look at tearing logs, and they're always focusing on the craft. Um, but obviously, you know, it's the price point that's very inaccessible for most people. You know, not many people can afford to spend £3,000 on a suit, for example. But there are ways to introduce high-quality garments that will last and yet be genuinely affordable. When I mean affordable, it could be a very high-quality suit, let's say £500, for example. You know, that, that could match a designer brand at, say, £2,000, for example. It can be done, but yet it isn't. And that's what frustrates me, you see. Good, you can have good quality at affordable pricing, even in terms of men's tailoring. You know, when you look at all the high-end designers, you know, yeah, they're great. They're, you know, that's what fashion is all about. But if, for example, it it delaminates after sort of two, three dry cleanings, then how is that sustainable? You know, and then the customer get frustrated, saying, oh, it's it, you know, it's only lasted one year, for example. Why not, why not have a garment that lasts 10, 20 years? You know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And, and all this idea of, oh, um, you know, we must be constantly changing the trends every season. You know, and, and now COVID has proven that, you know, we don't have to do that. We don't have to do two seasons, uh, two seasons in, uh, in a year, two collections. You know, so... First actual course I've been to in terms of uh, you know fashion design, but I think it's uh, I think it's been brilliant. Um, yeah, it's, it was very very intensive, um, but it really gave me the impetus to actually uh, make something from start to finish, put all my skills together. Um, you know, it was a huge amount of work, sort of over 40 hours, but you know it's it's a beautiful garment, and now uh, my friend can wear it. It's actually fitted for this gentleman here. Okay. Um, and he had four fittings for it, so it was a lot of work. So, you, so I basically took it apart about half a dozen times. So that's why it takes so long. Whereas if I just sewn it up, uh, it wouldn't have looked so good. It wouldn't have been made for the individual. But yeah, all these, all these things, you know, it looks very simple, and yet, you know, I'd had to modify the pattern three times uh, over the course of the fittings. And even these pockets, you know, these pockets took took um, sort of nearly an hour each. So very, very deceptive, but worth it. Caramel Rock, developing the next generation of designers and creatives. <laughs>